0: The time we felt so powerful because we went there we, we didn't have any plans we we didn't even thought that one day ben ali would even leave tunisia or just run away and then just by that call i said oh my god oh we we we, we did that we were like how do you say it impressed by what happened and um, and i think that year was one of my most wonderful uh, year um, in my life and also Also, maybe it it did push me, actually, to find always a career or a work that is linked to the civil society, actually, from that time.
1: Sonoma is a Tunisian humanitarian professional and currently country director for the International Rescue Committee in the Central African Republic. She spent about half of her career so far in her home country and, in fact, was entering her prime working years around the time of the 2011 revolution. So we talk about that naturally, uh, what it meant for her worldview and and her understanding of how change happens. We go on to discuss how she's approached her work in large-scale and seemingly intractable crises in CAR and in Yemen. Another major theme is the complicated relationship between the Global South and the Global North within the humanitarian profession. We talk at length about people's expectations, perhaps their biases, and what Salma expects of herself as an Arab woman professional. This is One Step Forward. My name is Ian Quick. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly enjoyed recording it. The place that I usually start these is straightforward to set the table. When you meet people socially, and I'm thinking here in Tunisia or in a a social context, not in the expat bubble in, in Banki, how do you describe what you do for a living?
0: Um, Very good question. It's always have been very uh, difficult to define myself. (laughs) Um, as soon as I'm out uh, from the international committee and where I work, because whenever I leave uh, CAR or uh, the humanitarian context where I work, um, I go back to a normal life that has nothing to do um, with uh, with humanitarian work. We, um, the situation in Tunisia is more like early recovery development, so they don't know actually at all about the humanitarian work. So I always like um, say that I'm a professional. humanitarian worker because i have also a respect for the humanitarian work i don't think that you need to come here uh, with that mindset to save actually the world Uh, you need to have the capacity the skills to perform uh, within your role so maybe it has like a lot of uh, ideas about um, i mean people who are like doing humanitarian they are saving life there is kind of glamorous actually uh Uh, Concept when you even see picture about humanitarian work, especially through what we are using uh, when you for fundraising. Um, In general, sometimes I feel uncomfortable to see some of the um, ads, even now, especially the sponsor uh, pages within Facebook uh, on some of humanitarian contexts that I have worked. uh, on like, for example, Yemen. uh, I I feel sometimes a little bit uncomfortable with it. I prefer that I'm defined as an expert, a professional uh, that has uh, the professional background to perform as country director or before as head of programs.
1: So how would you contextualize that for people if you're explaining sort of concretely what that involves? Maybe they have, you know, a romanticized or a the wrong image of what it looks like, how do you give them the outlines?
0: Um, I um, I always try to explain actually more in details because whenever you say that you are a country director or you work for the humanitarian, the first reaction, oh, it's always like wonderful. You are uh, doing such an amazing, this is like all the time you hear, you are doing such an amazing life and uh, uh, sacrificing your uh, yourself to the benefit uh, of other. Maybe we are doing part of it, like but it shouldn't be only that. Uh, so I try to explain like more. Small- that humanitarian has logistics has operation has people that needs to know about finance that it needs also someone who needs about um, I don't know like legal expertise if you are doing health programming you need to have like and you know I wouldn't say even minimum you need to have an extended knowledge uh, of, um, uh, of the health uh, sector so try as much as possible to explain to go beyond that image uh, about saving life and uh, uh, with your um, the image, there is a child, um, a malnourished ch- child, and and you are uh, like uh, helping them, same as you see in the glamorous image that they are sharing uh, within uh, the media.
1: I was interested to see that your, I mean, maybe it wasn't your first job, but your first sort of significant LinkedIn-worthy <laughs> job was um, ICRC back in 2003. Was that, is that something you all, you wanted to do as a vocation, or was that? Something that was available and, and, and you know, kind of practical and, and good on, on those grounds.
0: Um, I'll be very honest. At the time, I just got back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did um, a, a master's degree in uh, in Canada on management consultant. Um, and I was looking for uh, for opportunities to work. Almost applying everywhere, actually, mm-hmm. to get a job. Um, and then I saw... <laughs> I I feel like, believe me. <laughs> I didn't know even what what was ICRC when I had applied and even at that time we didn't have much access to internet uh, to like do some, the same search that we have Google uh, or we had uh, like uh, laptops at home or we have like easily access to the information so I just applied, I have seen that it was database manager uh, at the time then I was like called immediately because and just this is also um, uh, the destiny that the the, the recruiter and Line manager for that position. He went to the same university in Canada as as me, mm-hmm. uh, and this is how he found my profile as interesting. Actually,
1: I see. At that time, would have been doing mostly detainee visits in Tunisia, I guess. What kind of what kind of work were they doing?
0: Uh, the detainees in Tunisia that came later. Okay. Um, I think in 2006 or five, if I'm not wrong. Uh, in 2003, it was mainly working on the Polisario detainees, oh, and it was also my yes, and it was also discovery for, for me uh, to hear about the Polisario conflict. I didn't know about it, actually, and it exists. So I, I think it was a turning point for for my life, like career in general, when I got into ICRC. And because ICRC also, it's, it's like a great school for international humanitarian law, for anything that is related to, uh, to humanitarian diplomacy, even if it was like, how do you say it, assistant level. But I guess uh, I learned a lot from that. And I'm still using the four years that I spent in, um, in ICRC into my current career, actually
1: if we go forward a couple of years um, i was i was struck that you moved to a and, and i realize i'm not doing justice to a lot of probably quite technical and interesting work but you moved to a an international logistics company in 2009 and then that ended at the <laughs> right around the time of the the revolution so I. I Assume there is a, a story or a connection there.
0: I don't, I never thought about it from that pers- perspective. Mm-hmm. To move out from uh, from ICRC, it was because I, um, I felt that the, the work uh, within um, humanitarian sector, it was so specific. Mm-hmm. And then I was like thinking, maybe I will lose um, chances to go back to private, mm-hmm. uh, to finance background. Like it was my first job after my master. If I go beyond like four years um, into with with ICRC, I will like lose. How do we say it? The reality of things by being only on that mm-hmm. bubble. Uh, at that time, and it was also financial because I get a higher salary, more benefits, mm-hmm. uh, and it was closer to my home. And I thought maybe it would be good at always to keep uh, food sometimes uh, in the private sector, sometimes go back to humanitarian. So you have a CV that has different background, um, not to lose any chances in, fu- in, in the future. And then it came uh, the, the revolution, actually. Um, do you want me to, to say something about uh, the revolution and uh,
1: what happened? <laughs> Absolutely, in terms of how it, um affected your life, your decisions.
0: So I come from a family that doesn't do politics at all, mm-hmm. and um, I lived all my life under dictatorship, actually, until the revolution. For us, you don't speak about politics, you don't say names of president, you just work and live and just focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, that was like, I remember it was like the first years of Facebook, and there was like sharing of videos. I was at the same time also volunteering uh, during my uh, my weekends into some of uh, NGOs, local NGOs, giving some time for, for children. So I had, um, even if I was in the private sector, I was uh, always having some connection with, uh, with the NGO sector and so civil society. Uh, so this is how I, one night we were like watching and chatting with friends. They said tomorrow there will be a demonstration in uh, downtown Tunis. Uh, would you take the courage actually to go there and we were three uh women uh, my very close friend and i don't know we have we didn't plan anything we just mm-hmm. like decided to meet the next day at 9 a.m and we were almost like few um uh, women at that time and even i remember when we were in the middle of the crowd uh, even the, the the men uh they were saying this is uh the the, the real tunisian um Woman, uh, that we need to come and uh, help and support and this is from there actually the revolution happened, I found myself in front of the Ministry of Interior yelling and screaming uh, which wasn't planned at all mm. I just went that morning without having anything in mind actually I didn't know what will happen actually
1: mm. What did happen?
0: It happened that I mean when I was like uh, still in downtown and then they started actually the police uh, came to 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 uh, to 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 kick us out from uh, downtown um, i had my sister i remember my sister lived at the time used to live in finland she gave me a call she said you know they just announced that the president uh, has left run away from from tunisia and we were at the time we felt so powerful mm-hmm. because we went there we, we didn't have any plans we, we didn't even thought that one day uh, ben Ali would even leave Tunisia or just run away, and then just by that call, I said, "Oh my God!" So we we we, we did that. Uh, we were like, how do you say it? Impressed by by, by what happened, and um, and I think that that year was one of my most wonderful uh, year um, in my life, and also. Also, maybe it, it did push me actually to stay or to find always um, a career or a work that is linked to a civil uh, to, to the civil society. Actually, from that time,
1: I was contrasting the very practical um, perspective you gave me about wanting balanced experience on your CV to that um, much more uh, I don't want to say idealistic but optimistic, let's say, perspective that you just shared and. You stepped back into uh, roles a bit closer linked to civil society and almost immediately, no?
0: Within a few months, yes. Um, I, I had the chance to never like uh, really to, to, to spend time unemployed. Um, I had the experience with the Middle East Partnership uh, Initiative, MEPI, uh, where I was a grants analyst. Um, Because I always wanted to stay within the civil society because when I had just after the revolution, when we spent uh, several weeks and several months uh, doing volunteering work work. Uh, with uh, with local ngo on during our weekends and uh, and to check we started to see uh, some reality of tunisia that i didn't know about actually because we were all our life watching uh the national tv where they say that everything is beautiful everything is right um we don't have poor people uh, and everybody is happy so that like that shift to see uh, all the background all, all what ha- was happening in reality um, and go to very remote area after the revolution. This is, I think, I always um, even if I go back to uh, to uh, to how do we say to the private sector, it's always more for financial
1: reason. How is it that you came to work more internationally than?
0: So there is always like um, a major event actually behind it. There was the revolution mm-hmm. uh, first, and then uh, when I was working, like I had like a good job uh, uh, with uh, with Map, good atmosphere. Everything was like the, in, in my country. It was almost like the perfect uh, job. Also, it was regional because it was also offering me to travel to uh, to other countries like Egypt um, and uh, and Jordan, mm-hmm. which was actually something very interesting for me, and then. I don't know if you ever heard about the attacks on the U.S. embassy in Tunisia by the extremists. Mm -hmm. So I was working with MEPI at that time. And um, that day I was at the office, actually. Um, I was uh, just, I had the chance to leave earlier because my supervisor, uh, we felt there is something could happen. He just told us to, if as much as possible, uh, go home Um, because we started to hear there is something and uh, these extremists were heading uh, towards our area. So I left. Uh, and then um, it, it was, again, another, like, a change uh, moment uh, in my life uh, because we had the attacks, and then we came back. Um, I don't remember. It was, I think, uh, after maybe one week uh, to the office, and you see that your life, everything that you had are almost perfect has changed. Uh, you find yourself. You see uh, your colleague's uh, car were burned. Um, you see your, um, your um, the, the attacks. I don't know. Um, I felt very... Um, um it was very uncomfortable um anymore actually to stay to stay there uh, and perform there is like something uh, broken. Um, I heard about at uh, the time uh, relief web and I was looking for a position that is like similar to mine. I just applied um i think that was the first time I applied for an international orga- organization. I think I applied only for rescue and I get to call after two weeks and they told me then uh, to to go to Yemen
1: your run of uh, <laughs> good employment luck continued was it was it uncomfortable because of trauma um, or was it uncomfortable because of the public mood um, you know the the, the relationship with the, the US presence becoming quite a heated or contested thing <laughs>
0: Um, no, it was more a personal trauma, actually. Yeah. But, I mean, despite all what happened, there was a lot of sympathy. Um, I mean, we never felt that we were threatened as uh, okay. employee of the U.S. Embassy. I think this is we never actually lived uh, this uh, feeling. Uh, actually, we were considered as lucky because the economic, also, um, the how do we say it, the salary. So we were considered as lucky to be to to, to work there and even for Mepi. Uh, but actually, the trauma. It, um, and because of the day when I was leaving, um, I, I met these crowd coming towards the the, the, the the embassy from downtown and seeing all these, like, uh, black uh, black flag, mm-hmm. the one used by ISIS, and these, like, uh, people, uh, for me, I, I, I would never actually imagine to see them, actually, in my life in Tunisia. It's like, um, how do you say it? It's the first time I, I really, it was a shock, actually, when I entered now, sometimes I remember uh, these faces of these men, that we, I never seen in my neighbor, in my family. Um, we heard about them, and suddenly we were like, everybody, where they are coming from? And this is like you, you, you face another reality of your life, of, the, um, of something that is in your uh, people, actually, the people that you thought that, that they are like you. Actually, this is how maybe I started to feel um, uncomfortable. Or maybe now, um, if I'm, I'm not like self-aware about it, maybe this is why it was pushing me actually to leave even Tunisia, maybe to, to, to forget a little bit what uh, we have been through.
1: In mm. Yemen was and remains one of the <laughs> worst conflicts <laughs> in the world in terms of its impact on civilians. Not something that is, is easy or will... Uh, it will give you its fair share of of traumatic experiences, potentially, I imagine.
0: But Yemen, when I reached there in early 2013, it wasn't actually the highest peak of the conflict at that time. There was like like some incident of kidnapping, but it wasn't like the Yemen that we see these day or what happened later, the 2013 and 2014. So I had still the chance to go to Yemen. I even had the, the, the chance to do the drive from Sana'a to Adan. And I was, how do we say, it, in my outfit, my, my face, I was almost... I mean, the, the people thought many times that I was Yemeni. And also, um, they have such a respect to, to Tunisian. Uh, this is, was something that I discovered, uh, that we were really appreciate as the Tunisian uh, in, uh, in Yemen compared to other uh, Arabs. So my experience... Experience my first experience uh, with Yemen. It wasn't around conflict. At the end, yes, true. It was difficult to hear like um, all the, the the guns and uh, heavy weapon. Uh, even it wasn't like a uh, close uh, to, uh, to 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 Sanaa, but I had to be honest, a wonderful time in Yemen. Um, I had the chance to go to all the Sanaa to work to go by night. I mean, people wasn't like allowed to walk, but I could walk uh, in Yemen and go to 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 many places.
1: But you went back and. Uh Twenty nineteen, no, when the situation was definitely a lot worse. Yes. It was very difficult actually to
0: see the change to the context and the reality. I was happy to go back because a lot of stuff that I did have the chance to work with in twenty thirteen um, I had, uh, I worked with them and I was back as in more senior position and I was happy actually to, to see that they still remember me. They were happy to see me back actually. And I felt also very close, uh, maybe probably because um, of the Arab background. And, um, they feel also proud to see uh, to, to, to see um, someone like them to reach senior position, to see at least someone uh, like an uh, uh, Arab woman uh, that has the chance to travel and also to reach a senior position and be by herself there. But in terms of conflicts, that's that's definitely uh, not uh, the Yemen that I, that I knew in 2013. It was really difficult, actually. We had very difficult moments uh, when, when there was like airstrikes and heavy weapons and the attacks and the conflict between STC and uh, the official government. I had also the chance to go back to Sana'a and I was like, no, I mean, I couldn't believe what I have seen in Sana'a. Um, the change actually even if it's like in general it's very safe actually to 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 be there nobody will do anything to you um, i would say as a person as arab woman as humanitarian i never felt uh, any threats uh, against me maybe because uh, i don't know, for some reason when you when you operate as arab when you operate in arab context maybe you feel less the danger if you were in other contexts
1: maybe mm. yeah well certainly some ability to grasp the uh, the nuance of what is being said and and not said um, would help, I imagine. So, how did you end up in Car? Then um, was that I mean, in that case, not a not an Arab context. Was that something you were specifically interested in, or was it again a function of what was available and um, seemed appealing?
0: Um, in terms of context, I think we, we need to have the same interest either you work in car in Yemen or any other country. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning uh, you need to come here mm-hmm. to fix things to support things and you would do the same and provide the same quality uh, wherever you are. that's very important so this is for me I selected by position by what is uh, fits my uh, my background. I have never been because I I click on map and I want to go there. So just, I mean, um, that's to be to be very clear on that. Uh, it just happened that, um, I mean, after GDP, I, I was looking for a country director position. Mm-hmm. And I have applied because I knew that I would have like more chances because I knew I have worked here as the head of programs. So I did consider that I know well enough the, the context uh, to come ready actually uh, to to perform especially for the first time taking the role as country directors.
1: Mm. and I, I ask in part because it's, it's 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 a tough it's a tough case in, in in many respects it's it's chronically under-resourced very widely distributed population that's very logistically hard to reach there's a lot of reasons that it's it's quite hard to operate in from a humanitarian perspective so Three and a half and counting years there is 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 no joke right is that something that you thought about or that worried you based on your initial experience there
0: yes it's it's it's, it's very tough uh, battery but you remember if you go back to my profile i did logistics actually so yeah, so i know about tracks uh, and uh, Shipment uh, and logistics and the volume of cargos, I know about that. Uh, so this is also something that even if it's not like my career path still, I always use it. Actually, it's very important for uh, humanitarian humanitarian. Car is not as, uh, how do you say it, as you see it, maybe you have been here. I would say that I have a better living condition as humanitarian worker in Car than compared to Yemen. Mm-hmm. because despite everything you still have a kind of normal life. Um, you can go to restaurants, you can after work uh, do some sport, you can swim. you can have like a, quite a normal life even if it's very challenging outside the, that's a small area where we are mm-hmm. uh, and I have the chance actually to have my husband with me uh, here. Uh, so at least soon as I get back home I feel that I have kind of normal life but, but I agree. Um, sometimes i um how do we say it i i ask myself if i count the year between yemen and, uh, and Kar. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult i you you can say um, i might miss a lot of things um in my country when your family is, is sick when your parents for now for example my parents have some some issue it's very difficult actually uh, to accept it but at the same time i think that i have a very lucky life I think I believe on what I'm doing and I believe that I'm doing a good job. I don't need actually everybody every day. Somebody tell me that you are doing a good job, but I do it in the most professional way because I know when I go um, to my bed in the night when I sleep, I know that I did my best to to to, to find solution and to move things without like saying that glamorous. Uh, image of the humanitarian. I know what I'm doing. It's really to reach the clients at the end. So this is why, I mean, despite all the challenges compared to my personal life, I still think that I had a lucky career, actually, and lucky life.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the part that is hard for me, or that looks hard to me, is, is CAR is one of these examples of a, of a very protracted crisis, right? Like, it's not even... Super accurate to call it a humanitarian crisis because it's it's a state of sort of chronic cyclical um, problems. And I think the part that would be hard for me is the 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 persistence of the same problems. The fact that next year's strategic plan will probably look substantively similar to this year's strategic plan, and and the year before that. How do you think about success and failure in in that environment? Can you look back on your time there and identify wins or successes that you're you're proud of? Or how do you think about that?
0: I would say there are two things. I'm already very proud about my team, actually, mm-hmm. um, national team especially. That um, despite everybody they say which I don't like, everybody says we don't have capacities in the country. I do believe despite everything, you can find capacities, you can uh, promote people, you can give a chance, actually, to Central African to have an expertise to work, uh, to move uh, in their careers, to give them hope. Because even your own staff is part of the conflict. They have been through the trauma. Mm-hmm. Actually, they are not just coming to work. They are part of the solution and the problem, uh, your own staff. And this is very important. Important, and we need to remind ourselves about it wherever we go. I had the same thought when I was in Yemen. The staff—they every day live through the crisis, but still we are giving them the chance to move to to reinforce their capacity to have a job to sustain their life and to offer better life for their children uh, and their families. So this is something that I think uh, it's important. I'm um, also—I really, really do believe in localization. I do believe in transfer of expertise. And I have been saying this all my life because I worked um, in Tunisia. I was national staff myself. I was part of the civil society. I know what local actors and civil society can do when they, uh, they, they have the capacity to do it. And I do believe if the solution needs to come from there. So this is if you ask, me what i'm doing differently i would say that i do believe truly believe into localization and working with local partners is not like you just put it on the proposal and you put it as a subgrant. Mm-hmm. that you are having your partners to to work with them to find the soul to help them to find the solution to do not go back to the same crisis. and i think that we still have successful examples Especially around our agro-pastoralist uh, programming, uh, around our women's group, working with a with, um, community-based uh, organization, because we always work into them that mindset. And this is why also, um, actually, I like about IRC and keeps me actually working within the same organization, because you have that uh, uh, decentralization to enjoy actually designing you, the programs and work uh, you are trust and you can uh, perform form and you can, how do you say it? Uh, We don't have uh, one solution that fits all. Mm -hmm. You always have and are pushed actually to contextualize it, uh, to make it fit the context where you are. And this is key, actually, if you work uh, in Central African Republic. That should be an entry point, actually, if uh, because the context is so, how do we say it, chronic crisis since several years. So you need to ask yourself what, uh, if you see all the humanitarian assistance that has been through this country over the past decades, we need also to ask ourselves why it's still coming back to the same crisis each time.
1: Yes, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. The backgrounds that you have, do you meet other people at your level of seniority who have actually had that experience as quote-unquote national staff of working in, in the, the local offices of international organizations, or is that rare?
0: I never ask uh, that question, so it will be difficult for me uh, to, to assess how many have the same experience. I know within IRC we are many mm-hmm. because uh, we, we always try actually to offer this opportunity. But um, honestly, I don't know. I never actually went. I meet with other country directors. We are part of the NGO forum, but I never actually asked, actually, if they had the same pathway. But I would say it, maybe it's uh, it won't be the same, actually. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <yeah. laughs>
1: you, you might be being a bit polite there, but clearly it adds um, an additional dimension to your perspective, right? Do you feel kind of pressure to represent that Southern perspective from a country that has had has recently emerged from a dictatorship and, and, and gone through a tricky transition and so on? Do you feel like you have to kind of speak for that perspective or that people expect you to speak for that perspective?
0: Um, I think they have, people usually are surprised actually to see Tunisian into humanitarian work or counter-director position. Mm. I feel it actually sometimes from discussion actually because of the first question. Even when I speak French, they everybody they the first comment: uh, Did you study in France? Did you? Uh, did you? Are you maybe you are born uh, in Europe? Uh, it's they always expect that uh, that, really?
1: <laughs> that <laughs> surely North Africa is the logical the logical guess. No? <laughs>
0: Yes, it's like North Africa maybe doesn't have like much expertise, actually. So this is like sometimes it's funny actually here, but I learned actually to go beyond that. Mm. Uh, so so how do you say it? Yeah, always like uh, I feel sometimes surprises also running um, um, an office uh, for, for, for an organization like Rescue. This is also something I, I can feel that sometimes it's like okay, wow oh, you're Tunisian, so I always had have the same comments actually when when you speak about representation. The first comment when I had also from other colleagues, from especially like from the north, is always okay, ah, Tunisia is always couscous, always uh, like the comments about making merguez, you know, all these like things. And uh, I mean sometimes <laughs> you know, I say okay, I, I I know other things than than cooking couscous and. Uh, preparing food so there is always like that image yeah. of uh, the tunisian woman uh that is uh, behind uh, the cook doing some uh, some good food uh, that you need to go beyond uh, also also the the same comment um, when you are like sitting with other uh, do you need halal food or uh, well i never say you know i never say that i'm tunisian uh, it's not that I'm not proud, but I don't see why. I mean, I just come into the meeting, hi, I'm Salma, I'm the Tunisian uh, country director. I just, yeah, I consider that I'm just like as um, as like a country director like any other um, colleague. So I don't know why I have to define myself uh, from uh, from my origin or from uh, the food that I eat. But it's always like I have these comments of almost like regularly. And um, yeah. But, but um, as I mentioned, with the time, you need to help also other uh, colleagues, actually, to go beyond uh, their prejudgment. I would say that it's not a pressure. I feel, like, proud that i'm um, maybe i'm how to say it challenging all the stereotypes that some people have about uh, arab woman and arab uh, around uh, north african woman uh, or tunisian woman uh, by when i get into uh, a meetings i'm not asking actually a special treatment because i'm uh, coming from a minority but yes i'm i don't, i don't like it actually i'm i don't need to any gift actually i think i have the expertise and background to perform at the same time, it's good because I'm opening the door and the image uh, for for people like me or from the region where I come to see that there are opportunities.
1: You adverted to this already that um, people say there is no capacity in in car, and the the emphasis you put on building up the involvement and the ownership of of your staff. I mean, where where does the where does the humanitarian sector need to go in, in CAR? I mean, you've been there a number of years. What's the what are the one or two things you would really change about involvement there, about the way that humanitarian agencies enter the country, set their priorities? It, it it sounded like there was some frustration on your part.
0: I would say uh, take seriously localization again. When I say seriously localization, that uh, when we implement even like um, the most humanitarian program or in the middle of crisis to try as much as possible to involve local actor. And when I say local actor, by like its wide definition, actually, it can be um, um, CBOs, it can be local NGOs, it can be the government, it can be ministries to do at least the minimum to involve them and to have as much as possible exit strategy through a strong community approach. And this is, I think it's key for uh, if we want to sustain uh, and stop the humanitarian cycle actually in the future. Again, um, localization, as I mentioned, is not like just put the line that you will be supporting. When I, I will give you an example. You can say um, today, okay, I will partner with this NGOs. They will be implementing prevention against GBV programming in this. There is a difference between you just transfer the money uh, to the local partner and wait for it uh, to perform. When you compare that, you will put the right time and effort to train that partner, to share with them your own expertise, to spend the time with them, to train them on basic skills like uh, finance management, um, how to run a project, and to do some internal control or follow up uh, with them. And whenever you have the chance to keep that partners to maybe move it to another project or to sustain the result after that, even like one year or two year, that's for me a difference between the mindset of just like please a donor by putting, like I'm giving 25% to a local actor Um, And the fact that you have a local actor as a real partner, you take it as part of your own indicator. That means when I say to a donor, uh, we will be reaching 1,000 beneficiaries, maybe I will put like 25% will be reached with the same quality that I would expect from myself, from from the local actor, but making sure that I'm providing them the right support to perform as we do. It's not like um, perfect as I'm saying. It's very challenging because we always have a shortage on um, in financial capacity. That means you will be I will be always very very practical. You will be asking the same stuff, same stuff that you have uh, as finance. A manager for your own NGOs to ask them to go and support another NGO and to train them, which is like an extra effort from there rather than like just budgeting someone who will be just doing capacity building for local, lo- that local NGO. It's like, it, I would say, it's also a mindset of sharing, actually, uh, and being generous or giving to others. To, to For example, when uh, we don't have an issue actually here to, to offer our internet to local actors if they need to come to our office or to print paper or to, to support them or to if they need to go to be deployed with us in the field, we can offer them like uh, one room, one desk with that if it's needed. So this is the difference. I hope that I'm clear when I say to have them as partner or just ask them a sub-grantee into one
1: project. Everything you say makes sense, but of course it will involve you know additional costs. In some cases, maybe the the work is done in a different way, or, or to um, you know the same standard, but not in quite the way a donor might prefer it. Is there appetite for this? Has that changed over the last few years? Do you see that your sort of financial stakeholders are willing and able to to come along in this regard?
0: I would say that donors are uh, more open and are more pushing for that rather than like maybe uh, the spirit within the humanitarian uh, community. I would say the donors maybe are more ready than uh, than us mm. because it's always, it always means as well that you'll be cutting funds uh, for your own organization, reducing stuff, uh, and also putting much more effort to do programming through not direct implementation but through a partnership with a local actor and especially with the with the with the decreased funds for for car which i expected even maybe probably much worse next week next year um, everybody is finding themselves in very difficult a situation to sustain actually the quality by maintaining a key uh, number of staff, but at the same time you are pushed actually uh, to work uh, with the local action. And this is the right time actually to, um, and this is also the, the another mas- mindset around localization. So when we need to cut international position it shouldn't be from with the mindset that it will reduce costs. This is also very important. Um, we are not like changing international position by national because uh, it reduces our budget. It needs because it's more sustainable to have uh, national staff implementing uh, programming in their countries and longer term and then having a, a high turnover with international staff. And this is also um, another mindset that, that may be not yet there uh, within the, uh, the international humanitarian community.
1: Mm, indeed. Well, speaking of <laughs> cutting staff, you expressed the fear that at one point you would be trapped in the uh, humanitarian sector. Are you trapped in the humanitarian sector now? Well, is this a forever thing for you or is there an exit strategy?
0: My, my, my father always taught me to to have plan B's and C's. <laughs> yeah, <that's> good advice. <laughs> so um, in, in the longer term, yes, I would like to say, but more like advisory. Mm-hmm. And also I missed some involvement into the civil society in Tunisia. And also, I have my own plan, actually. Uh, I cannot, like, all the time work uh, in conflict uh, zone. And also, I have family, and I have a husband, and I have my own life. So, uh, it's not sustainable on the long term, actually. We we, we need to plan for it. And I'm planning uh, for it, not right now. I think I would be ready to take another uh, context, uh, I hope less, a little bit less challenging the, than uh, than CAR, but well, we will see. It's too early. Uh, my commitment for here is until 2022, and in, usually when I have uh, a commitment um, on long term, I don't look elsewhere.
1: Do you think that there are things that you would take back to Tunisia from international humanitarian work? Do you think that working with people in in CAR or in Yemen has sort of shaped your perspective on, on what you would do in, in Tunisia?
0: Definitely the technical expertise that I'm having uh, thanks to my work that's for sure actually Uh, whenever i will go back if i need to support local actors uh, into like designing and i do it actually i don't like to speak about it a lot but i as much as possible if i can help civil society when i go back i try as much as possible to do it uh, and share expertise in a volunteer way without asking anything also i believe that uh, tunisia and the South needs also to be a key actor in the change in the South. The South-South approach I do believe in that. Uh, Why not? When I see, for example, even in terms of fund, why it needs all to come from one side. I think if we want to bring more um, balance and less geopolitics into some of the funds, it needs to come from a common pool or it needs to come. uh, There is more diversity in who's funding um, humanitarian crisis in the future. Why not, uh, for example, Congo helps uh, car? Why not? Uh, If uh, you ask me, I would love actually (laughs) to go back one day to My country, and they give me actually some uh, key role in one of the ministry that is in link with the with the humanitarian sector or NGO, and maybe to see if I can support them on on that.
1: We're putting it into the universe. (laughs) See, (laughs) putting it out there. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Um, (laughs) One one thing I ask everybody: is there a book or a a play or a poem or? Uh, a work that's been particularly influential for you in navigating all of this you know through the through the revolution through international humanitarian work is there something you keep coming back to
0: um, it's it's really strange because almost the reading I, um, that I have usually doesn't have uh, a link with our sector it's kind of actually helping me to uh, to disconnect. From the world, actually, that uh, from my work um, um, in general, uh, I, I would say, I mean, some of um, Simone, Simone de Beauvoir, uh, definitely, if I'm not wrong, the Le, le Deuxième Sex, quelque chose comme ça, uh, about feminism, actually. I think these books that I did read, I think when I was maybe 14 years old, 15 years old, and I think some of it are still like in my mind somewhere because also gender uh, it's uh, it's it's not an issue but sometimes it's challenging within our work actually to, to take a role as leadership but also to be a woman that can be also some uh, add to the some of the challenges that you have already it's like you you need to work uh, sometimes to forget uh, the fact that you are defined from either you are a woman or a man Sometimes you need to forget it, especially when you go into some difficult uh, meetings. I remember when I was in Yemen in some of the meetings where you have to meet some (coughs) local representative from from the ministry in the north. And the first thing that they see is always a woman before everything. And how they look to you, how they sometimes make some comments, you just need to forget and you just keep focused. I mean, it's not like I'm not uh, recognizing that I'm a woman but here i'm um, i'm defining myself from the from the job requirement uh, then uh, of uh, being a woman at disposition or a man at disposition because i mean simone de beauvoir has gone through the definition of the social norm of being a woman i think it, it stayed in my mind somewhere where i always like that gender i try to to always overcome there when it's about job and it and it helps and you win at the end actually because people they forget when you focus into your expertise and you are sure about yourself believe me people they forget about that and you help them actually to change uh, and to see actually uh, female colleagues from another perspective actually
1: anything you wanted to add that we didn't touch on
0: I hope that what I, I just said uh, will be helpful uh, to, to anyone from my region or from, uh, from Tunisia um, and uh, to believe that, uh, that we can play a role actually in humanitarian assistance and there is a chance for us as well.
1: you are listening to One Step Forward. We are all about stories of working for social good in hard times and tough places. My name is Ian Quick. Thanks for listening. And just a quick reminder, this podcast thing only really works by word of mouth. So if this episode resonated with you, please share with someone you know who might be interested. Rate us on iTunes or anywhere else for that matter. Join the conversation at onestepforward.fm. Thanks and bye for now.